If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of July 18, 2021. The podcast that invented the wired cell phone. This is your host, Shane Killian. First, a quick announcement. Heather and I are going on vacation, so there will be no podcast for the next two weeks. Regular episodes will resume in August. Now let's excommunicate the news of the bogus. Just when you think the news media can't possibly get any worse, it's bad enough that most of them completely ignored a spate of church burnings in Canada, especially when they cover at length every last little bit of gun violence that ever happens. Even worse than that, some media organizations actually justified these acts of wanton destruction. In a single day in Calgary, Alberta, ten Catholic churches were vandalized. That's probably enough to give a lot of people flashbacks to the Spanish Civil War. But over the course of a month, vandals and arsonists have gone on to attack dozens of Canadian churches, some of them burned entirely to the ground. Canada has close to 13 million Catholics, which represent over a third of the population of Canada, so Catholics being targeted is a big deal. But the American news outlets that haven't ignored it completely have largely been attempting to justify the acts. The attacks came in the wake of a discovery of hundreds of unmarked graves where the government sent First Nation children over a period spanning from 1883 to 1996. The First Nation is one of three indigenous groups recognized by the Canadian Constitution, the other two being the Inuit and the Métis. In one event, over 160 undocumented and unmarked graves were found in B.C. and Saskatchewan. Ground scanning resulted in an estimated 215 graves near a B.C. school, another 182 at a different B.C. school, and 751 at a Saskatchewan school. It's shocking and outrageous, but not surprising to anyone familiar with the history of the area. Over a century, Canada ripped 150,000 Indigenous children from their families and sent them to government-funded schools run mainly by the Catholic Church. One in particular, the Cooper Industrial School, has been described as Canada's Alcatraz. The schools were overcrowded, and the children were malnourished, and the Catholics banned their traditional languages and traditions in favor of Catholicism. Something like 4,100 children died in these areas, the biggest causes being tuberculosis and influenza. The children were generally buried on site, and the graves marked with wooden crosses, which decayed and deteriorated and are long gone. So finding these grave sites is more confirmation than discovery. But, of course, the U.S. media, especially the New York Times, misreported them as mass graves, which they aren't, and a result of genocide, which they aren't. They're just unmarked and undocumented graves, and they probably aren't all of children. They were community cemeteries which included the non-indigenous marked with wooden markers that decomposed. The Washington Post at least had the decency to correct the mass grave headline, The Times never did. So, in come the justifications for the arsons. The head of the BC Civil Liberties Association tweeted, Burn it all down. And activist Nora Laredo said, quote, It's very dangerous to conflate the string of church fires with violence against mosques, and said they weren't hate crimes. But that's typical of how it is these days. 
These modern Catholics, who weren't even there and had nothing to do with it, all had it coming just for being Catholic. Because people are collectives, not individuals. Many natives have condemned the burnings, such as Cheryl O'Sullivan, who attended one of the schools. Quote, They're villainizing us when really we are the victims. It's not going to help us build relationships or rebuild relationships with religion, with the government. And Carrie Allison said that the arsons, quote, must have no feelings or respect for elders or ancestors. That's certainly the case of the news media, whose only goal is to get clicks by whipping up outrage. Instead of educating people as to the real atrocity, they have to engage in histrionics about genocide and mass graves, which just aren't the case here. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. It's sadly not a new thing, but the FBI has tweeted that they want people to rat out their family members when there's any indication of what they call extremism. They tweeted, Family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization to violence. Help prevent homegrown violent extremism. Learn how to spot suspicious behaviors and report them to the FBI. It included a link to a document called Homegrown Violent Extremist Mobilization Indicators. The indicators it gives are unhelpfully vague, such as attempting, illegally or otherwise, to obtain explosive precursors, which could just mean buying fertilizer. A lot of it has to do with associating with violent extremists, which, as we've seen, includes things like taking a selfie with someone making the OK sign. Even privacy items such as manipulating an online post to misrepresent your location, or even suspicious financial transactions or buying and selling, which could easily apply to cryptocurrency. They even specifically say encrypted media apps slash software platforms. So if you're using Signal, that counts! or the Tor browser, or Tails OS, yep, that means you could be a terrorist and family members need to turn you in. The FBI's tweet included the hashtag NatSec. Is it just me or does that sound like Newspeak? NatSec, Ingsoc, Minitrue. It's exactly the same appeal to spy on your friends and neighbors as given out by George W. Bush and Barack Obama. I guess they could only keep the specter of Islamic terrorism going for so long before they had to switch to the next boogeyman. 
The replies to the tweet seem to show that most people saw through this, making allusions to the Stasi and the SS, who basically made the same call for people to turn in others for being sus. David Wool tweeted, Antifa is the number one domestic terror organization in America. Maybe you should stop ignoring them. Nick Searcy tweeted, Just change your name to KGB and be done with it. Some of them responded satirically, such as Kevin Dalton who tweeted, I just discovered my two-year-old has boxes and boxes of Duplos. These are obviously a gateway to insurrectionist training tools like Legos. Please send help. Others pointed out the real danger being ignored like those in Antifa. Kyle Hooten tweeted, People are mobilized to violence pretty much every night here in Minneapolis. Maybe you could worry about that? Some pointed out that even Maxine Waters called for violence in Minneapolis if the Derek Chauvin jury didn't come back with the right verdict. Others posted a still from an episode of Red Dwarf with the characters finding themselves in a dystopian world looking at a poster that says, Be a government informer. Betray your family and friends. Fabulous prizes to be won. One user posted a meme in the form of a quote from George Orwell saying, Boy, did I call it or what? Darren J. Beatty had it right when he tweeted, Time for the remaining good people in the FBI to become whistleblowers. Same with all other agencies. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Whoever's in the FBI, NSA, and other government organizations with any integrity, Snowden the hell out of them. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And now, in their capacity as Captain Obvious, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a ruling saying that unconstitutional things are unconstitutional. Okay, I shouldn't chide them since we've covered plenty of cases of courts ignoring the Constitution to support hideous agendas, but this one was a complete no-brainer. They struck down laws preventing people from ages 18 to 20 from buying guns as unconstitutional. Of course, it was a split decision, so make of that what you will. The decision struck down several federal laws and regulations preventing federally licensed gun dealers from selling handguns to people aged 18, 19, or 20. Judge Julius N. Richardson delivered the opinion of the court, quote, Our nation's most cherished constitutional rights vest no later than 18, and the Second Amendment's right to keep and bear arms is no different. Plaintiffs seek an injunction and a declaratory judgment that several federal laws and regulations that prevent federally licensed gun dealers from selling handguns to any 18, 19, or 20-year-old violate the Second Amendment. We first find that 18-year-olds possess Second Amendment rights. They enjoy almost every other constitutional right, 
and they were required at the time of the founding to serve in the militia and furnish their own weapons. We then ask, as our precedent requires, whether the government has met its burden to justify its infringement of those rights under the appropriate level of scrutiny. To justify this restriction, Congress used disproportionate crime rates to craft over-inclusive laws that restrict the rights of overwhelmingly law-abiding citizens, and in doing so, Congress focused on purchases from licensed dealers without establishing those dealers as the source of the guns 18- to 20-year-olds used to commit crimes. So we hold that the challenged federal laws and regulations are unconstitutional under the Second Amendment. Despite the weighty interest in reducing crime and violence, we refuse to relegate either the Second Amendment or 18- to 20-year-olds to a second-class status. The decision included a table of militia laws dating from before the ratification of the Second Amendment regarding the age of militia members. Most of the states actually had the ages 16, with Delaware and Pennsylvania, and Virginia after 1785, making the age 18. None set the age higher. So what was up with that dissenter, Judge James A. Wynn Jr.? Apparently, he thinks that whole right-to-self-defense thing is just a ploy by the gun lobby. Quote, The majority's decision to grant the gun lobby a victory in a fight it lost on Capitol Hill more than 50 years ago is not compelled by law, nor is it consistent with the proper role of the federal judiciary in our democratic system. Wynn was appointed by Barack Obama, but you knew as soon as he brought up the gun lobby that it was confession through projection, right? Besides, it seems to me it was his side that lost the fight 230 years ago. But check out this lame excuse for an argument, quote, No, the Second Amendment is exceptional, not because it is uniquely oppressed or imperiled, but rather because it is singularly capable of causing harm. While there are dangers inherent in other constitutionally protected rights, like the right to speak and assemble, the Second Amendment alone protects a direct and lethal right to endanger oneself and others. Unbelievable. And he even tried the whole, other exceptions exist, therefore my exception is valid, canard. Of course, he engaged in histrionics that have nothing to do with the law whatsoever to talk about the Second Amendment causing all sorts of harm and even appealing to science while ignoring the extensive scientific analyses, including from the CDC, showing that firearms are used to prevent crimes five times as often as they're used to commit crimes. So this was a good ruling, at least. Now about that drinking age... Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to declimatize this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. 
I have nothing but sympathy for people who have lost loved ones in a tragedy such as the Sandy Hook Elementary School mass shooting. But the despicable behavior of the plaintiffs in their incredibly bogus lawsuit against Remington is really pushing the limits of that sympathy. It's been a long-standing principle in common law that a firm cannot be held responsible for the actions of its customers. If someone drives a Ford F-150 into a crowd of people, you don't sue Ford. But for decades, we've seen people try to make exceptions for gun manufacturers, exceptions that would make it impossible for them to even be in business to begin with. But they don't want to ban guns. Oh no, don't be silly. So Congress in 2005 passed the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act to prevent this. But people just want to seem to ignore all of that. The unspeakable atrocity at Sandy Hook was committed with a Bushmaster XM-15 E2S rifle, a Glock 20 SF handgun, and a 22 lr Savage Mark II bolt-action rifle. What any of those have to do with Remington Arms Company LLC I'm still trying to figure out, but nine families related to victims of the shootings have sued them anyway. They did include Bushmaster in their lawsuit, saying that the XM-15 E2S is only suitable for military applications, even though it's a semi-automatic carbine chambered in 223 Remington. Very much like most other modern sporting rifles, and was specifically designed to comply with the 1994 Federal Assault Weapons Ban. They also included Cam4, a firearms distributor, and Riverview Sales, the now-defunct store where the gunman legally purchased the rifle. So anyway, they're going after Remington, not sure why or how, but it's been in an extensive discovery phase where Remington, after numerous attempts to comply with plaintiffs' demands and continually being accused of holding back pertinent information, are now being accused of releasing too much. Ostensibly, they were looking for documents related to the marketing of firearms that would somehow prove they were targeting criminals with advertisements, and getting pissy when they didn't find anything like that. So, as part of discovery, the plaintiffs demanded, quote, We request that you produce native versions of all embedded images and videos posted to defendants' social media accounts during the relevant period. That included all user comments, video playback, and image metadata. Note that they said all images and videos, including ones posted by users, anything posted to the social media account. So they did, and naturally it included more than 18,000 graphics, emoji, and other images. One example is a meme depicting a minion from Despicable Me, dead on a plate, sliced like steak, with the caption, Filet Minion, a pun on Filet Mignon. It also included a lot of personal photos and videos of people participating in activities like go-karting, hunting, and gender reveal parties. So the plaintiffs started clutching their pearls and whining. In a complaint to the court, they said, quote, Remington has treated discovery like a game. Unwilling to have this case decided by a jury on the merits with a full record, Remington has sought delay and obfuscation at every turn. More blatant confession through projection. Their lead shyster, Josh Koshkoff, said, It's not at all clear to us what this information is doing in this disclosure, other than it's some type of an effort to perpetrate a document dump where they give you a bunch of stuff you didn't ask for and withhold relevant information that you did ask for. But you did ask for it, you ambulance chaser! Again, quote, All embedded images and videos posted to defendant's social media accounts during the relevant period. Sorry to repeat myself, but that seems important to understand. 
I mean, come on. We know what the plaintiffs were trying to do by asking that they turn over the complete history of all their social media posts, not just ones relevant to advertising and marketing, not even just ones posted by them, but visitors too, even in comments. They were hoping to troll through it, looking for anything they could use to tie them to something unpleasant, as we've seen plenty of others do, trying to bogusly tie them to white supremacy or militia groups or something like that. Apparently, the plaintiffs are just pitching a hissy fit because they couldn't find anything. So they have to cover it up by accusing Remington of a document dump when all they did was turn over precisely what was asked for. Turn over what's relevant, and they accuse you of holding back. Turn over everything specified, and they accuse you of dumping. With that bit of Morton's fork, is it any wonder that the Sandy Hook plaintiffs got themselves named this week's Biggest Bogon Emitter? want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's retro-circumscribe this week's... Idiot, This one is going to take some setup to understand, so bear with me. A video posted online in September of 2019 shows two toddlers, recorded by their parents, running to each other on a New York City sidewalk and hugging. It was absolutely adorable, and since one toddler was black and the other white, it went viral, because apparently some people had never seen that before. I don't know, it's pretty common around these parts, but it was adorable, and it's understandable that people would love messages of racial unity, so yeah, it went viral. After the two toddlers hugged, they ran down the street, the black kid ahead of the white one. That'll be important in a minute. So, the parents put the video online, it went viral, and not only did the parents not complain about the video being seen everywhere, it was even licensed by a video licensing agency. So, Trump supporter and meme meister Logan Cook, who posts to Instagram under the name Carpe Donctum, decided to take the video and use it to make a bit of satire, as is his right under the concept of fair use. He started off with a clip from the last part with the two toddlers running. Below, he added a graphic in the form of a CNN lower third with a Chiron, Terrified Toddler Runs from Racist Baby. After a few seconds, it changes to, Racist Baby Probably a Trump Supporter. After a few seconds, it fades to black, and the text, What Actually Happened, appears. It then shows the full video in context, making the point that you can change the meaning of the video with clever editing. And this wasn't even that clever as far as the editing went, it was just deciding which portion of the video to show. 
The video then faded to black and the following message appeared. America is not the problem. Fake news is. If you see something, say something. Only you can prevent fake news dumpster fires. Donald Trump saw the satirical version, which also went viral, and posted it on his personal Twitter account. The Trump for President page retweeted it. So apparently the parents of the two kids, Michael Cisneros, Alex Hansen, and Daniel and Erica McKenna, got all triggered and decided to sue Cook for using the likeness of their children without permission. They also sued Donald Trump and Trump for President because why not? They claimed that the video violated their children's privacy. One wonders how it's possible to claim privacy rights on a video that they put online publicly and even had licensed. They also claimed that it was used for, quote, advertising purposes and or for the solicitation of patronage for Trump in the state of New York. Yes, they said the video was an advertisement. I am not making this up. Donkdom should just hang it up. Satire isn't just dead, it's mummified. They also said the video was, quote, causing them pain and suffering and mental anguish. They alleged intentional infliction of emotional distress and said it had a substantial probability of causing harm. In particular, they had added words that would harm plaintiffs. How, they don't say. So this lawsuit got smacked down for the ridiculousness it was. Clearly the only point was to try to punish Cook and Trump for participating online. Such lawsuits are illegal in New York, in addition to several other states, under anti-slap laws, slap standing for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. A slap lawsuit is one where the plaintiffs don't have a chance of winning, but they're doing it to shut the defendants up, drive up legal costs, and make it so that it's very costly for them to participate in public discussions. They can also result in companies removing the posts entirely, as Twitter did here. So the court just threw out the case. In the ruling on the motion to dismiss, the court wrote, Trump and TFP argue that the claims against them must be dismissed since the parody meme unequivocally involves a topic of significant public concern. They further assert that the video is protected because it is satirical and that it was not directed at any of the plaintiffs whom they did not even know. They also rejected the privacy argument and agreed with defendants that the plaintiffs failed to state a cause of action. The court ruled that the video was newsworthy, of public concern, and a subject of general interest. They also rejected the plaintiff's claim that the video was designed to mislead. Quote, the video not only contained the portion altered by Cook, but also the original footage of MH and FM accompanied by a graphic reading what actually happened. Thus, any reasonable person watching the video knew or should have known that at least a portion of its contents was not real. Since the video is therefore a satire, albeit one which some may consider to be rather distasteful, this court is constrained to find that it is not actionable. They also rejected the idiotic claim that it was advertising. As far as intentional infliction of emotional distress, they found that the video did not rise to the level of extreme and dangerous conduct, nor did defendants engage in any such conduct. They also found that it was, in fact, a slap. In response to the suit being dismissed, Cook posted, quote, the filing alleges that I violated the civil rights of two toddlers by creating a meme based on a viral video that was released and promoted by their own parents. The suit further alleges that President Trump also violated their civil liberties by sharing my meme. In the filing, the plaintiffs, the parents, admit that they knowingly and intentionally released the video into the public space and that the video went viral. 
The claim that creating social or political commentary about a video that has been purposefully shared to millions of people, featured in news articles, and broadcast on television violates anyone's legal rights is patently absurd. Contained in this rambling and often hilariously written document is a stunning admission. The plaintiffs admit, without prompting, that the DMCA copyright takedown that they filed against me directly led to the permanent suspension of the Twitter account I have owned and operated since 2008. My account, at Carpe Donctum, which I had built over the course of 12 years and had amassed 273,000 followers, was not only my preferred outlet for expressing my First Amendment rights, it also served as an archive of all my artistic work. Once these counterclaims were filed, the claimant, the parents, had a period of 10 days to provide proof that they had filed a copyright lawsuit against me or abandoned their claim. The plaintiffs declined to file a lawsuit or a cease and desist against me during the allotted time, effectively admitting that their claim was invalid. Because their copyright claim was invalid and would not stand up in court, they instead chose to file what is essentially a copyright lawsuit pretending to be a civil rights lawsuit. I hope that you are better at math than you are at writing lawsuits, and I look forward to meeting you in court. Of course, he never got his account back. But now we get to the surreal part of this judgment, and this is solely the doing of Judge David Benjamin Cohen, and it really shows that he was so with the plaintiffs that he was trying to cheat as much as he could get away with. Quote, Since this action involves free speech concerns which are not purely private in nature, it qualifies as a slap suit and is thus subject to dismissal. However, despite finding that the complaint is subject to dismissal on this ground, as well as for the reasons set forth above, this court also finds that plaintiffs are not subject to the penalty set forth in CRL Section 70A since their claims are supported by a substantial argument for the extension of existing law. Specifically, although this court determines that the video was not used for the purposes of advertising or trade within the contemplation of CRL Sections 50 and 51, Plaintiffs argue that defendants used the video as a means of advertising for Trump and TFP. Although this court rejected plaintiffs' arguments, it finds that they set forth a good-faith basis for the extension of existing law, and thus, plaintiffs should not be penalized by the draconian language set forth in CRL sections 70A and 76A. Cohen is a Democratic nominee who vocally supported Hillary in 2016. Look, the whole point of those sections of New York's anti-slap law was to make it a right for defendants to get compensation for their legal fees, and every other state that's passed anti-slap legislation has something similar. A slap lawsuit is a baseless lawsuit that's there to inhibit someone's First Amendment rights, and one way that happens is by burying them in legal expenses. It doesn't make sense to have an anti-slap judgment where you don't get your legal fees back. The whole point of it being a slap is that there isn't a good faith basis, and there's nothing whatsoever about supported by a substantial argument for the extension of existing law. This was just fabricated by the judge out of whole cloth. So this kind of a judgment from a judge that was that biased in favor of the plaintiffs just shows what an undeniable open and shut case this was. So all of that makes the plaintiffs in this case this week's Idiot. Well, that wraps up this. I know she's Catholic. I didn't know the Pope was. Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Remember, no podcast for two weeks. We'll see you in August. Until then, ruminate on this quote from David Freiheit. When you can predetermine a judge's decision based on the political appointment of that judge, it is no longer a judicial system. It is a political system. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.